0: Let's pray. O God, whose will is justice for the poor and peace for the afflicted, let your heralds' urgent voice pierce our hardened hearts and announce the dawn of your kingdom. Before the advent of the one who baptizes with fire of the Holy Spirit, let our complacency give way to conversion Oppression to justice and conflict to acceptance of one another in Christ. We ask this through the one whose coming is certain and whose day draws near your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And all God's children said, Amen. We're going to affirm our faith this third Sunday of Advent using the affirmation found on 887 and will be on the screen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, No. in all these things we are more than... Through the one who loved us. We are sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things nor death nor things to come nor any, nor any, nor any will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. In Jesus, our Lord, be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I thought that we were getting raided from outer space. is why I backed up there. I didn't, that vibration and stuff. But anyway, we are grateful and our candle readers and lighters are here. And if they'll come at this time.
1: be reading from Isaiah 34, chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. There will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leak like deer and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool of thirsty ground, bubbling springs. And the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it, and and it will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ferocious beast will get on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. And they will enter Zion singing everlasting joy, will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away.
2: In the first week of Advent, we lit the candle of hope remembering Christ. The hope of glory was born in the Bethlehem manger and is coming again to fulfill all God's promises. God's hope does not disappoint because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and he has given.
3: Last week we lit the candle of peace, though in this world there is war, injustice and tragedy. Jesus taught that we would experience tribulation in this world. However, he also promised us his supernatural peace. Christ is our peace and he is returning to bring everlasting peace.
1: Today, we light the candle of joy. Even though we live in a kingdom of darkness and despair, we can rejoice that Christ, Christ, the light and joy of the world, has come. We rejoice that Jesus lights an extinguishable, even in life's darkest moments, and his promise to exchange his beauty for our ashes. And his joy is our mourning.
3: Let us pray. O God of joy, Emmanuel, enlighten us with an outpouring of your spirit. Fix in us your royal throne so that we will be prepared for Christ's return. Set our hearts and our minds on the things you have done and those you have promised to do. As we worship you, empower us to do your will and may the joy of the Lord always be our strength. Thank you for its reality. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please stand if able as we join together singing Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Amen. today. And handsome. Okay. So, today for Children's Message we are going to share a poem that we've been reading about Advent. And what happened the first time we read this poem at home?
2: Mama cried.
3: We cried, didn't we? It was so sad. But it does have some ye old English in it, so I'm going to try to read it a little bit slower so that you can catch it. And I might just naturally translate it too, so... Bear with us, okay? To the Infant Jesus by Saint Alphonsus. O King of heaven, from starry throne descending, thou takest refuge in that wretched cave. O God of bliss, I see thee cold and trembling. What pain it cost thee, fallen man, to save. You of a thousand worlds, the great creator, does now the pain of cold and want endure. Thy poverty but makes thee more endearing, for well I know, tis love has made thee poor. I see thee leave thy heavenly Father's bosom, but whither has thy love transported thee? Upon a little straw I see thee lying. Why suffer thus? Tis all for love of me. But if it is thy will for me to suffer, and by these sufferings my heart to move. Wherefore, my Jesus, do I see thee weeping? Tis not pain thou weepest but for love. Thou weepest thus to see me so ungrateful. My sins have pierced thee to the very core. I once despised thy love, but now I love thee. I love but thee, then Jesus weep no more. Thou sleepest, Lord, but thy heart ever watches. No slumber can a heart so loving take. But tell me, darling babe, of what thou thinkest, I think, he says, of dying for thy sake. Is it for me that thou dost think of dying? What then, O Jesus, can I love but thee? Mary? my hope if I love him too little Be not indignant. Love him, thou, for me. Did you cry? A little bit? Maybe a little bit. All right. Let's say a quick prayer, okay? Ready? Dear Heavenly Father, we come into this season where we focus on your gift of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we remember the real reason for this season and, and why He had to come. Jesus paid a debt for us that none of us were ever going to be able to pay no matter how hard we tried. Let us today be thankful, Father, for all of your mercy and grace that you bestow upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Christina and kids, and
0: thank you for those who came. It's our Advent message as we light the candle of joy. We have much to be joyful for, even though we live in the midst of great challenge and and great uh, unjoy uh, in this world. We we come to the Lord with our prayers, but we come with thanksgiving. Um, we thank the Lord for the sunshine that we had. I mean, it's hard—it's hard enough to get people nowadays to attend worship. Uh, rain would really be a, a legitimate deterrent, but we are grateful that we had sunshine. We're—we're uh, we're thankful, you know, that there's been so much go on that hasn't been peaceful in our own nation, but you know. We are so grateful for all the peace treaties that have been signed with the nation of Israel. There have been nations that have signed peace treaties with the nation of Israel that uh, in their past they wouldn't even recognize Israel's existence. And most recently, the country of Morocco, which is very near to my heart, the king signed a, a, a peace agreement with Israel. It doesn't mean there'll be peace. We know that there, there won't be but uh, in this world, but at least it's a recognition of the right to exist as a nation, and we're thankful for that. We also, uh, yeah, I think we can thank the Lord that there is no flu this year. I don't think anybody's been diagnosed with the flu. Uh, of course, oh, they have been, okay, well at school well that's good I'm at least at school they know because you know otherwise we don't hear a lot we only hear one one sickness going on and and we want to remember those who are uh, battling this sickness Um, we don't mean to treat it lightly but um, we we want to keep people in prayer we want to be safe you know we were considering do we have a Christmas Eve service under the circumstances under the dire News that we hear from the media, uh, but you know, I, I, we will, and those who feel safe enough to come can come. And we do welcome uh, all the protection that people feel comfortable with. We want to remember Dan Galatro, uh, remember him in prayer, uh, especially Barbara, who's married to Dan. We want to remember her even more so. She, she's, she's a woman of great. Patience, because tribulation worketh patience. Dan, and just like me, you married up, brother. Uh, but um, also, we want to give thanks for uh, John and Elizabeth got good news from the doctor. Uh, John's been released. His his healing is is. Uh, coming about and he is able to do much more than he was able to do the six months ago when they got the disappointing news that they would have to wait a, a bit longer before John could do what he can now do. And Elizabeth's been pulling double duty, as many of us know, these last uh, six, more than six months now. But uh, am I am I right on that? About... Yeah, so anyway, we we want to continue to thank the Lord for that. We remember Johanna, Barbara McCormick. Thank the Lord for righteousness and truth to prevail. That's our desire. You know, we want light to shine. We want justice to prevail. We want righteousness and truth. To uh, exist for all people. Remember Celia Lair and George and Sandy and Carlos Smith, who um, evidently has uh, um, is, is ill. Uh, Ashley Carroll, Richard Hazelwood, Danny Jones, uh, Bohide Mitchell and Tori and Fry and Ken, brother Ken and Annette are also uh, ill, and we want to remember them. So, so let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you again that you are the God who offers your throne of mercy and grace to all through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that hope and peace and joy and love and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are ours because of the gift of Christ. And that, Lord, we want to lean into those and lean into your leadership and ask you to be involved in all these requests that we have made. And we pray, Lord, that that you would do exceedingly above and beyond what we can imagine or think. We all have other personal and family needs. We pray that You would have Your way in each of our lives, that we would know Your will, seek Your will, and by the power of Your Spirit, do Your will. And Lord, we do thank You that uh, there hasn't been a revolution. Uh, We thank You that even though we have seen destruction and we've seen burnings and riots on one side, we thank You for the restraint of the majority and we do pray that you would forgive us Lord for um, the sins of our nation forgive us Lord for for putting our trust uh, more in institutions than in yourself and we do thank you for the nation we have and we ask your blessings upon our leaders, upon our military, upon those who serve in hospitals, those who serve in, uh, in every municipality and those who make it possible for us to live in peace. And now let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven Amen.
3: And together, singing while shepherds watch their flocks.
0: Presence and for these gifts that have been brought here today in tithes. We pray that you will give us wisdom to be good stewards and use them for the furtherance of the good news that we know in Christ Jesus. And for your glory, we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. And you may be seated. Well, this morning we are... Um, Continuing to remember that first event that we find our lives drawn to and transformed by forever, and we're going to read from Luke chapter two, uh, verses one through fourteen, and we're going to focus. It's a, it's called a song for the for shepherds and scoundrels like me. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and Dr. Luke writes in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And when he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, there's a lot of uh, tradition that we pile on to this wonder story, and there's nothing wrong with tradition. Uh, But, obviously, we have been influenced more from the Western world about this story than we have been influenced from the Middle Eastern world of this story. And as much as we'd like to believe it, Jesus wasn't born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. You know, he he came from the, the Middle East. And one of the privileges, one of the privileges that that I've had, uh, is to live over in a culture that's very was very influenced by the Middle East. Uh, and um, uh, the what goes on and what went on in the culture uh, in many places had been going on for decades and decades but here's something I, to get back to I, I think we can all agree that the birth of Jesus was the most well planned, most well orchestrated birth that has ever occurred on earth in spite of earth's perception of it uh, God declared the coming of the Uh, of the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's authority in Genesis chapter 3.14 and we go all the way toward the end of the Bible and read in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 that Jesus' death was planned before the foundation of the world so God had plenty of time to plan this uh, birth. In fact, the prophets prophesied various details about the coming Messiah, even Micah, as we read in, in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, that, but you, O Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, and little of the thousands of towns of Judah, yet out of you shall come to me the one to be the ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. And then Paul wrote in the Galatians 4.4 that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman. Luke gives us the historical facts and, and there's a lot of details that are left out but we know that he was born in the days of Caesar Augustus in fact we we know through historically that the, the Caesar at the time's name was Octavian and, and the title Augustus was actually had been ascribed by the, the Romans use Augustus to as, dis, describe their gods and at the time of Christ they had been moving into making their Caesars God of course they had a a multitude of gods, so adding another god was no problem to them. But they would call him even their savior because his military might brought stability to the known world. So at the time when the Romans are ascribing deity to their emperors, heaven introduces the savior of the world. And none of the gospel writers provide a date. But again, Luke, points out to a census that required folks to return to their ancestral town to register. And here's one of the good traditions we take from it. You know, most of the time around these holidays, uh, in the normal setting of time, most of us would, would, if we were able and we had that place, we would return back to our ancestral home and gather as a family. That's a good tradition. So Joseph and Mary, the scripture says, went up. They actually went up in elevation from Nazareth uh, to begin a 70-mile journey southward to Bethlehem. And in order to get there, they would have gone up to uh, Jerusalem and then uh, five miles to Bethlehem. And though the story its not written in the story, they very well and could have stopped and visited Elizabeth and Zechariah on their way because they also lived in one of those little towns in Bethlehem and because in good conditions their travel speed would have been about 20 miles a day. Now, that, that's, the, that's a good travel speed. I don't know how that is, how pregnant Mary was. And, you know, we talked about this with how much supplies they had to put on the donkey and whether Mary even got to ride the donkey or not. Because, but by foot, 20 miles a day. You know, that in our minds is, just bogs our mind because we can be uh, 600 miles away in 12 hours, you know, by car now. And so they loaded up the truck and they went to Bethlehem, the donkey. But they didn't get there. Again, four days would have been a a good journey for them. And again, I take this back to living in the Middle East. One of the privileges for me back in the 80s, I was just beginning to read the Bible and, and you know it was so different from our culture in the mountains you go into the mountains you even it was even more different it was untouched by modernity it was untouched by the rush of society they were still harvesting at, at that time that I was there they were still harvesting wheat with a sickle and they would cut the sickle and tie it up in little bundles and they actually separated the wheat from the chaff by th- having a place on the side of the mountain where the wind blowed and they would throw all the wheat there and they would line up horses about four of them parallel and they would go around and around and around and they would break up the wheat from the chaff. and then they would take a winnow fork and throw it up into the air and the wheat would fall and the shaft would blow away. But there were so many things that were like, more like Jesus's culture than the culture we live in today. And celebration for a firstborn son in the Middle East was a big, big deal then and a big deal even now. In fact, I can remember it was a burden because I remember one of the colleagues I worked with uh, when I was teaching English, uh, he had a child and he had to, they had to, they had a boy child and they have to throw a big party like a few days afterwards they have to feed all their friends and festival and you know celebrate and give thanks to Allah for the the baby they have and it was a financial burden and it was a great burden on the people. but. Firstborns are a big deal celebration. You know, God is the author of celebration. And when He led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they had been slaves for 400 years. They didn't have a day off, a week vacation, a, a Sabbath. They didn't know anything about that. But God gave them seven feasts. Times of remembrance and celebration were a part of those feasts. Eating, drinking remembering an event that took place associated with it but it also was a rehearsal for an event that was coming. I'll give you an example. The Passover feast was when they, when they sacrificed the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts and the Israelites were to do that for perpetually and we know that that was a reminder of what happened right before they uh, were able to leave Egypt the angel of death passed over and everyone who didn't have the blood on the doorpost uh, the firstborn of that family would die but those who had the blood on the doorpost the angel would pass over and they were to do that as remembrance but we also know that when Jesus was crucified Jesus was crucified during the Passover feast the Lamb of God who was slain for all of us and that Feast was a remembrance but also a proclamation well there were several feasts seven feasts to be I think I already said that Uh, but there was a feast in the fall called the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Tabernacles actually originated when God gave it to Moses when they set up the first tabernacle and God's presence uh, was with them where He would be in the Holy of Holies and they had this joyous celebration of the tabernacle where they could worship God and God's presence be with them. And that continued throughout their history. Uh, and, and when they participated in the Feast of the Tabernacles, it was a seven-day joyous celebratory event uh, they would remember that first tabernacle. They would also remember uh, that Solomon built the first temple five hundred years later and we read about that in uh, chronicles where when the when they had finished celebrating, I mean they had a big celebration of this this temp- uh, tab- uh, temple that was uh, established, and the holy Spirit came and if you read in uh, Second Chronicles, I mean, the priest couldn't even be there. The presence of God was so great. And every year the Jewish people still do this. They would build themselves tents and they would camp in those tents or at least they would have the tent built. I don't know if they're still camping in them. But that was to remember that their ancestors spent time in tents until they made it to the promised land, 40 years in tents. But it was also pointing to something else, I do believe. Uh, according to Rabbi Mark Blitz, that during the time of Christ, there were, uh, Herod's temple was, was in its peak. In fact, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. And there were four massive pillars, 75 feet high. And each of those pillars contained four containers made of clay that could hold oil and they would hold seven gallons of oil each and they would fill those things up and during tabernacles they would light those things and and uh, they used actually for the wick they said they used the linens from the priest's old garments they would use, they would light those things up during the, the feast of tabernacles and there would be great celebration, great party and so You know, again, we don't have the date of Jesus' birth, but wouldn't it be just like God to ordain Jesus' birth to occur during Jerusalem's most joyous feast and be celebrated by people who had no idea that the light of the world was being born just five miles, miles south of Jerusalem in the city of David right underneath Herod's nose. Now, you know, there had to be a reason for that incognito birth because we know what happened after Herod discovered that there was the birth of a Savior supposedly prophesied by the uh, the prophets to be born in Bethlehem and we know what he did. But we there's nothing wrong with our traditions as long as we just we can separate the wheat from the chaff. you know historically we we know that december twenty fifth was a date given to us by the Roman Emperor Constantine that was designated as the date of remembrance of Jesus' birth. Uh, I want to show you a picture. Uh, when we were in North Africa, a friend of mine, Peace Corps friend of mine, we were stationed in different areas throughout the country, and a friend from the south had come up to where we were in the north, and there was a little town that was nestled on the edges of the mountains, in fact nestled in the mountains, and we would go hiking, and this guy had gone hiking with a couple of my friends Uh, prior to our hike and he had taken pictures of a family and you know it's hard for us to imagine but that house is probably could be a thousand years old the only thing changed on it was that it went from uh, thatched to clay, to tin, uh, more recently, and the only changes that they experienced would would be some of the modern amenities that we have, very few, uh, you could get yogurt in a cup, but but you could get a radio if you were wealthy enough and get batteries and you could actually listen to music, but everything else would have been the same. And if there's another another picture, those are olive trees around it. Uh, And there's the stove right up there to the top where they cook the bread. And and everything they did, they, they actually put the animals at night because they didn't have fences. They would put the animals inside the hallway of the house that separated the rooms that would be used. Could you show that other picture? And then there, well, anyway, we took a picture and we took it back to this family. Uh, and we walked for about six hours to get to this place and we had every intentions of staying and then going higher in the mountains the next day we had our little backpacks and things and we we brought the pitchers and we brought some sugar that you could actually buy in a cone because they used a lot of sugar and that was a a nice thing to give them and we bought some tea because tea was the drink that we sat around and drank at night when they were celebrating and and they lavished so much hospitality on us it was whole that night, I remember. I'm sure they went to the neighbor uh, to get bread because they wouldn't have normally had enough bread to feed uh, four hungry uh, Peace Corps volunteers that happened to show up you know, with a pitcher and some other things. And they gave us blankets. They just lavished hospitality upon us. In fact, we wondered if the family really even had a blanket left to sleep with that night. They had thrown so many and given so many to us. So when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, they would have looked for a family member. I know that's unheard of for us. I mean, you know, for us, we, we almost have to call our fam- family and relatives. We got to call them and let right? is it okay if we come by today? <laughs> you know, even our children sometimes, right? You know, we don't want to disrupt, interrupt, uh, invade. But then, if they went to a town and had any ancestors, the first place they went to was a great 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 uncles and said, "Surprise, we're here." It wouldn't have been a surprise because actually all the other people whose ancestors were from the town of David had showed up too. In the guest room, which would have been one of the amenities that these people have, and the guest room was occupied, and the guests weren't giving up their space, and so. Mary and Joseph took the next best thing, the stable place where the animals would normally be kept in inclement weather and even a place where those who would take care of the animals if they weren't the little children, if they hired a shepherd and they were able to hire shepherds, where the shepherd would sleep out in the same place of the animals. But here's what I really You know, I revisit these stories and and I think, isn't it just like God? That he would use such a low setting to bring his son in, in a place where, you know, again, I've said this, Mary and Joseph weren't really um, considered uh, with high esteem because, you know, if people are uh, socially... uh, upper class or something, people can make room for them. If they have money, people can make room for you. But, but they were low family of meager means that God chose for his son to be born. And the first group that he gives the message to is the second lowest people on the social status ladder called the shepherds. In fact, you know, we think of shepherds as kind of the nice type cowboys that would hang around the fire, you know, and watch the flock, you know, and stuff. But in reality, the shepherds were then, the were, they were just a step above a leper. And lepers, you know, couldn't be around people. Shepherds would have never been invited to a big birthday party. They would never have been invited to the party of a birth of a firstborn child. They actually, the shepherds were shepherds because they were considered incapable of doing anything else but watching the sheep. I mean, it didn't take a whole lot of, of you know, uh, talent to, to watch the animals. But isn't it just like our God to send the greatest choir that the world's ever experienced hearing And go to the shepherds who are watching the sheep and announce His birth and invite them to be the first ones to show up to the party. The first ones to to see the Christ child who has come into the world to save us all from our sins. You know, they say that the Bethlehem shepherds would have been the ones who were guarding the lambs during that time of year, and, and actually this time of year would probably have been around the last week of September, first week of October. The reason I say that, that's when the Feast of Trumpets would have taken place and that would fluctuate because it's on a lunar calendar rather than what we use as the solar calendar so it could be different times of the year. Uh, but around that time. And while everybody's partying in Jerusalem and the shepherds are left to themselves, the majesty of God's glory and the singing that no human ears have ever heard. I, I heard Mahalia Jackson s- sing a song and, and, and Martin Luther King Jr. said that a voice like hers comes in a, a thousand years. We're about to hear a song. I'm going to wrap this up. But I just want to point out again that this is, what, this is our God. He invites the lowest. You know, He equalizes all of us that we all need a Savior, but he invites first the lowest, the world's lowest, not the lowest in his eyes, to send God's heaven's best singers to proclaim humanity's most joyous birth of a baby who would become the Lamb of God and who had come to die for scoundrels and sinners and that would include us all. For the good news, beloved, is exceedingly great joy for those who know they need a savior whose love graciously reveals the depths of our fallenness, the callousness of our hearts, and the shallowness of our sentimental compassion. The good shepherd from the highest heaven who entered the world through the lowest mean to invite whosoever To exchange our sin for His goodness if we will just make room for His eternal presence in our lives. And this is the greatest gift that anyone can receive. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Miss Joan has a song for us.
3: we join together singing soon and very soon.
0: It's good news. That's why we lit the candle of joy. Because we live on this side of the cross. And because of Jesus, you know it would be very, very, very sad if you don't know who Jesus is today. I pray that you know Christ personally. That's what He wants to know us. This is not a religion. This is a relationship that Christ has invited us into. And hallelujah, we are going to see Him. And that's what Advent is. We're reminding us about the coming. The coming of the King who's come the first time is coming again. Well, Thank you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so blessed to be in a land where this message can be declared from the rooftops without the repercussion of someone stealing our homes or taking our children away. Lord, we do pray that you would send a great revival that during this time you will save us from allowing tradition to wear us out so that we can truly celebrate this time for the greatest gift that you've given to us all we love you but not as much as you love us and we are grateful for your promises that heaven still celebrates and we want to just celebrate with you Lord carry us with our burdens and we'll give you all the praise in Jesus name and all God's children said amen
2: amen, amen. amen.